A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. February 11th, 1940. It's been a banner year for Hollywood. 1939 saw the release of The Wizard of Oz, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and Gone with the Wind. So competition is heated as the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences prepares to release their nominations for the Academy Awards. It's going to be just the 12th ever Oscars. 1939 was the first year that the little statuettes were officially called Oscars. And then, as now, it is an honor to be nominated. The official list of nominations for 1939 is released on a Sunday, two and a half weeks before the award ceremony. And the next day, there is one piece of especially big news. The LA Times writes it up. They say, imagine this in a 1940s newsman voice. Highlights of nominations, as seen by the Academy itself, included Hattie McDaniel, among the five actresses in supporting roles. Hattie McDaniel became the first ever African-American actor to be nominated for an Oscar. And this nomination was for her role as Mammy in Gone with the Wind. And a little over two weeks later, she'd be the first to win. She broke through. We would love for her to have broken through with a different role, but this is the role that mattered. The reaction to McDaniel's nomination is mixed. Because on the one hand, it's progress. But on the other hand, the role that McDaniel is nominated for, Mammy, is a racist stereotype. I'm Sally Helm, and this is History This Week. Today, the story of Hattie McDaniel. Her Oscar was a historic first, her legacy is complicated, and the award itself, the physical object, that has been missing, mysteriously, for almost 50 years. So what did it take for McDaniel to win? And 80 Oscar ceremonies later, how do we understand her legacy? Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Accounting for Inflation, Gone with the Wind is still the highest grossing movie of all time. It won Best Picture and seven other Academy Awards, including Hattie McDaniels. A lot of critics consider it a cinematic masterpiece. We called up Professor Burlett Carter to talk about Hattie McDaniel and Gone with the Wind. And we started with the basics. So tell me about Gone with the Wind. What is the plot? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, it's it's a movie about the Old South, as people put it, and a huge plantation where life is, is painted as being wonderful until the Civil War comes along. <laughs> Professor Carter knows Hattie McDaniel's story well. She's spent years researching her story. Hattie McDaniel played one of the so-called mammies who took care of whites on the plantation, and she was particularly a servant to a young woman named Scarlett O'Hara. The movie is a dramatic love story between Rhett Butler and Scarlett O'Hara. And in many ways, it is also a love letter to the pre-Civil War South. In the movie, the war and abolition are portrayed as ruining a perfect world. This enraged many people at the time, particularly in the Black community. It was misrepresenting history. That's what a lot of people still hate about it today. The role of Mammy has always been at the center of this controversy. Mammy is enslaved, but in the book and the movie, she seems to serve her white masters happily and loyally. Now, at the time, a lot of the parts available to Black actors in Hollywood were parts like Mammy. And Hattie McDaniel was an up-and-coming Black actor who wanted to make it big. She was the youngest of seven. Both of her parents had been slaves. Like a lot of Black actors, McDaniel started out in vaudeville. Vaudeville was a way that African-Americans could get on stage and could get work. She also sang and did comedy during her early years in theater. According to McDaniel's biographer, Jill Watts, she was a radical performer for her time. She would play whiteface, making fun of Europeans, and she also parodied stereotypical Black characters, essentially Mammy. She ended up playing in hundreds of movies, usually in comedic roles and mostly as a maid or servant. When the part in Gone with the Wind came up, McDaniel was determined to prove that she could do it best. And, after some lobbying, she got on the shortlist. Gone with the Wind producer David O. Selznick looked at various people for the role, but... He finally settled on McDaniel as the type of character he needed. She was heavy set. She met the stereotype of the woman in the book. She was ecstatic to get the role. She was very happy because it was a big break for her. Although she was not paid as other actors were and she didn't have the same benefits, uh, she was playing with Clark Gable and Vivian Lee, And it was a huge film. McDaniel knew the movie was going to be big. And she also intended to bring something bold to the character. McDaniel's version of Mammy had more agency and energy than the Mammy of the book. And she felt that she deserved the role, and she felt she could do a good thing with the role. Remember, the role wasn't written the way that she played it, the sassiness. She is known to have transformed that role into someone who really had her own identity. But 
there was only so much she could do. First of all, the role was already written, and it couldn't stray that much from the novel. And second of all, McDaniel was a woman and African-American in 1939 America. When it comes to race or, you know, other types of discrimination, sometimes you're simply in the role and you really don't have the power. Professor Carter said, some Black actors did decide not to take roles that they considered too stereotypical. And their careers suffered. Sometimes they stopped getting parts at all. There were people who felt that if more people did not take these rules, if more people turned them down, then there would be more opportunities for Blacks in other ways. So at the time, some people in the Black community spoke out against the role and against McDaniel herself. One well-known Black paper, the Chicago Defender, ran a piece in January 1940 by a Black actor named Clarence Muse. He was a friend of McDaniel's. And he wrote that anyone supporting this film was, quote, committing a great crime against the race. And when Gone with the Wind came out, students from the historically Black Howard University Law School picketed at theaters. They protested the film's portrayal of slavery. Meanwhile, most white American audiences loved Gone with the Wind. And some critics picked out McDaniel for particular praise. You see a lot of that, particularly among white writers, saying how she was so fantastic. I don't think they understood, perhaps, the angst that that kind of role would cause for a Black person who, you know, essentially feels that there aren't other options and wants to avoid the stereotype. Of course, the stereotype wasn't the only challenge that McDaniel and other Black actors faced. The set of Gone with the Wind was segregated. And when the movie first premiered in Atlanta, McDaniel wasn't allowed to go because the theater was segregated. The same was true of the Oscar ceremony itself. No Black actor had ever attended, let alone attending as a nominee. A lot of people were working behind the scenes to make this happen. And you have to know that that was true because it simply wouldn't have happened under any other conditions. Hattie McDaniel herself was one of those people working behind the scenes. She knew her performance had been a hit. According to The Hollywood Reporter, she walked right into David Oselznik's office with stacks of glowing reviews to show him all the praise she'd gotten for her acting. He was the one who had the power to nominate her. And there were other white power brokers in Hollywood who also wanted to see this happen. More and more people were being exposed to the oppression of racism, and it bothered them. And I think they wanted to um, do something to show they weren't racist. And despite the tension over the mammy role, within the Black community, people wanted to see McDaniel triumph too. So when the nominations came out on February 11th, there was excitement and a lot of talk about what a major step this was. Remember, it's the first time an African-American actor has been nominated. It's for a really high-profile movie. The country is still segregated, and people feel this is an important statement from Hollywood about inclusion. The press at this time is also segregated. And in the Black press, there's clear support for McDaniel's success. But there's also that same mixed reaction. There were African-American papers before and after she won who were basically saying, of course they're going to give this award to somebody who plays a mammy. That's what they think we are. 
the night of the awards arrives. Hattie McDaniel is welcomed by cheering fans outside. She went to the awards ceremony with a friend, and she was dressed to the nine. She had this beautiful dress on, and it was a big, giant room at the Coconut Grove. The hotel is segregated, like most of California in 1940. The Gone with the Wind producer actually had to petition for McDaniel to be allowed in. And so she went in with her date, and they were directed to a table at the back of the room. I mean, that tells you everything, doesn't it? She's there to get an award, and she's stuck in the corner up against the railing of the stairwell in the back while she can look over and see about 20 feet away Vivian Lee and Clark Gable and all of her white cast members sitting there having a great time, and she's over in a corner somewhere. The ceremony begins, awards are given out, and then, near the end, the moment comes. The Oscar for Best Actress in a Supporting Role. McDaniel is up against four white movie stars, including one of her castmates, Olivia de Havilland. The actress Faye Bainter goes up to the podium to present the award. I'm really especially happy that I'm chosen to present this particular plaque. And it enables us to embrace the whole of America, an America that we love, an America that almost alone in the world today, recognizes and pays tribute to those who give their best, regardless of creed, race, or color. Bainter's introduction tells us how the Academy saw this award, as a credit to McDaniel, but also to Hollywood and to America. It is with the knowledge that this entire nation will stand and salute the presentation of this plaque that I present the Academy Award for the best performance of an actress in supporting roles during 1939 to Hattie McDaniel. When Bainter is finished, McDaniel goes up to the podium. Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science, this is one of the happiest moments of my life. She went up to that microphone and she gave a Hattie McDaniel speech. For your kindness, it has made me feel very, very humble. It was not radical. It was not rabble-rousing. It was quiet. She spoke about how proud she was. I sincerely hope I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. That term, credit to your race, is a hot-button term, particularly later became really one that people didn't use very much anymore because it was just considered offensive. What white people were called a credit to their race. She was true to form. She stayed in her place. But it was typical Hattie McDaniel. That's who she was. So McDaniel is presented with the Oscar. After the show, the Oscar that she would actually take home was just a plaque, as was custom for all supporting roles at the time. But she poses with the little gold man statuette. And she leaves the podium to applause. Then, soon, the 12th Oscars is over. Afterwards, some people have hope that Hollywood will change. Ed Sullivan writes a column in the Daily News. After she wins, he says, Hollywood has stepped out and made a statement about tolerance, and we have to have tolerance, and he sort of suggests people will get better, and he's so positive, and I'm sitting there going, no. (laughs) 
it's not going to be that easy. Because, of course, Hollywood doesn't change overnight. They still were stereotyping, but for that night, they got the photographs they wanted. What happens to McDaniel after she wins the award? Well, after she won the award, you would expect she would have had long coattails and she'd been able to help other people get roles and she would have gone on to bigger and better roles. That's not what happened. The roles that McDaniel played never really changed. And she never made it into such a big film again. She did catch a break in 1947 with the part of Beulah on the radio program The Beulah Show. The American Broadcasting Company presents The Beulah Show. The role was as a black maid to a rich white family. No, ma'am. There's nothing wrong. Before McDaniel, the show starred a white man voicing the part of Beulah. And starring Bob Corley as Beulah! (laughs) McDaniel excelled in the role. And as she had done throughout her whole career, she remained focused on being a success in Hollywood and staying out of politics. What was her financial situation during this time? Well, you know, she put on a good front, and she tried to make people think she had made a lot of money and she was wealthy, because that that enabled her to get more roles, but she was poor. Hmm. It became obvious when she died. McDaniel died in 1952 of breast cancer. And when she did, her estate was valued at about $10,000. And she had a lot of debt. She had executed her will a little less than a year before she died. In it, she asked for two things that stand out. One was to be buried in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, where a lot of famous actors were. But it was a whites-only cemetery at the time, and they refused to give her a plot. The second notable request in the will was that McDaniel wanted her Oscar plaque to be given to Howard University. But the way wills work is you have to pay the debts first. McDaniel's wishes wouldn't be honored until her debts were covered. So her stuff was auctioned off, including her Oscar. Professor Carter says this auction might have brought in a ton of money, but... Everything that she had was devalued by the fact that she was black. Her fur, she had furs. But in that day, no white person would knowingly wear a fur that some black person had owned. And the Oscar plaque itself... This possession that meant the world to Hattie McDaniel, it was valued at zero. And actually, at this moment, the auction, the plaque just disappears. Every other item is accounted for. Her red dress is accounted for. Fur coat is accounted for. I mean, every single little item except this Oscar. Some years later, the plaque somehow made it to Howard University. But... By the early 70s, it was missing again. Carter spent a year and a half looking for it, but its location remains a mystery. As I was talking to Professor Carter, it struck me as so sad that McDaniel had this major groundbreaking first, and now the physical record of that achievement is lost. And I asked Carter about this. What do you think we should make of the fact that the plaque itself has been missing for almost 50 years. Well, what it says is how discrimination generally affects the ability of a group to pass wealth from generation to generation. 
Because had the Oscar had any value, it would absolutely have been traced. In fact, it would have been sold easily. You know, if that Oscar had been worth, say, $5,000, $10,000, some people say today it should be worth over half a million or a million dollars, it would have, we would all know where it is. <laughs> and, it, and it's because it didn't, it's because it didn't have value that it was lost, that it didn't have large value to a larger community, even though it had tremendous value to her and to the people who appreciated and loved what she did. It sounds like it has actually tremendous financial value today, if it were to be found, and also tremendous symbolic value. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it does. It shows the quandary we've been talking about of here's this amazing choice that the Oscars made and that she earned, and then to have it lost hmm. is, is, is just uh, it's this tragic side of the story. And we have to learn to live with both sides of that. We can't tie it all up in a nice bow, you know? Professor Carter thinks there has been real change in Hollywood. Small, but real. Thanks in part to McDaniel's historic achievement. But she also says, even 80 years later, representation at the Oscars is still not where a lot of people would like it to be. After McDaniel, it would take 24 years for another Black actor to win an Oscar. That was Sidney Poitier in 1963. It took 61 years for the first African-American woman, Halle Berry, to win Best Actress in a Leading Role. At this year's Oscars, Cynthia Erivo was the only Black actor nominated out of 20 for her role as Harriet Tubman. She didn't win. For now, the question of who takes home that little gold statuette and why, it's as charged as McDaniel's legacy itself. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what is on history today. This podcast is produced by McKamey Lynn, Julie Magruder, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosado, and our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Thank you to Professor Jill Watts for speaking with us for this episode. Her biography of Hattie McDaniel is called Hattie McDaniel, Black Ambition, White Hollywood. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Next week.